This is my journey, inspired one story at a time. A library of leaders was created. It began as a journey to learn. As time went on, it began to grow. All it needed was a platform, and this podcast was created to listen, to inspire, to share. I am a storyteller, and this is my journey. Welcome to another episode of Profiles in Leadership. I'm your host, Steve Anderson, and today our guest is John Robertson. Inspired and driven by his values, John is a facilitator, a coach, a guide for his clients as they test, discover, and expand what they can do. John is the founder and president of Fort Log Services. He focuses his services to an encouragement-based approach. He has 30-plus years' experience and is a leadership development specialist, a certified trauma treatment specialist, and a certified grief counselor. He is a workforce wellness expert and a culture alignment specialist. We just had a great conversation today, and and we talked about uh, values and purpose and uh, conversational IQ. Uh, His insights are, are based on spiritual, emotional, physical, and psychological makeup of what drives human beings, and just that the, the destructiveness of loneliness, and there seems to be an epidemic that's uh, uh, throughout North America with the feeling of loneliness. So it, just a really interesting uh, discussion about leadership, what's important, what to focus on. I think you'll really enjoy it. So let's dry, dive right into the discussion with John Robertson. John, welcome to the program. It's really great to have you today. My honor, and I really appreciate being invited. Thank you, Steve. Yeah, you're more than welcome. Why don't we just start out by telling us a little bit about your background, uh, always interested in where people grew up and where they came from and how you got to do and what you're doing now. Well, the uh, best way to describe the background is a mosaic because I've got a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Okay. And I'm trying to break into a song, but... I actually started out living down east in Canada, and it's called the Maritimes. And I actually got started in crisis intervention because of a mine disaster, and some friends of mine were obviously walloped by it. And then we moved to northern Ontario and had some significant events up there, as well as I actually started out as a pastor, a minister, a clergy, whatever title, and what I started to discover or what I discovered or what I found most frustrating was people trying to work harder at something to reset what was instead of taking whatever the catalyst was to say, okay, what do I want this to become? Because I can't rewrite history. So how do I want to grow forward? And so then I started doing work with EAP, Employee Assistance Programs, and realized that a lot of times organizations treat, treat symptoms instead of looking at, okay, where is this behavior coming from? What's the motivation behind it? And that's how I ended up doing values-anchored work so that people thrive through crisis or change. But added to that, leadership is the kind of person's that people trust, want to follow, even when they don't like them. 
So it kind of sounds like what you're saying then is don't try and recreate once what what once was. It's more like embrace the change and, and look to the future to do things in a different, hopefully better way. Well, it, it, exactly. And Steve, I can guarantee you, and I, I'm not crying, but we all have things in our past that if we had the ability to rewrite history, we might say, yeah, I probably wouldn't do that again. Right. And and so what does it mean as this point of time to say, okay, how do I want to grow forward? How do I want people to describe me non-physically? And then what am I going to do about it? And so when you're working with, with companies and, and groups of people that uh, are in crisis, let's say, uh, what do you feel like is the most uh, is is the thing they struggle with the most? What, what do you need to help them get through or or change their mindset about? The first thing is, and I'm not advocating take up smoking. I want to preface that with I'm not saying take up smoking, but we need to apply the smokers principle. And smokers do three things that organizations and people need to do when we're dealing with significant events, crisis or whatever. First is do some deep breathing. And that doesn't mean mindfulness training and everything else, but it's literally take a breath. If we didn't get into this place in a millisecond, we're not gonna get out of it in a millisecond. Take a breath. The second thing is smokers take a break. They literally leave what they're doing and take a break. And then the third thing that smokers do is they surround themselves with social support. They are not deep breathing, taking a break outside with people who hate smokers. So when people and organizations are dealing with change or crisis, the first thing that we have to help them understand is it's not sin or evil or whatever to take that break. It allows the brain to come back online, stop reacting, and start responding or being proactive to say, okay, I can't change what just hit the fan. However, I can decide how I want to grow forward and move forward. And that's the hardest piece because once people or organizations start reacting, it is so tempting to stay reacting and then get upset about never going anywhere. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you're the founder and president of Fort Log Services. So tell us a little Correct. bit about what is, your, um, what is your typical client, who do you work for, and, and why do they hire you? I do small, medium-sized business, and what's happening is twofold. Organizations or leaders are trying to get, keep, retain. So the, the terms you use today is recruit and retention. <clears throat> but they're trying to get them the right people, the best people on the field. Jim Collins called them disciplined people, disciplined thought, disciplined action. But trying to get the right people on the bus. Right. The second part of that is they're burning through funds doing programs or guest speakers or expert lectures or leadership development courses. But the residual value isn't there in about two years. 
You follow me? Yeah. So why 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 not? If you're going to invest this money in leadership development, and I know that you are a leader development specialist, so what are they missing? What 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 seems to be lacking in those programs? Because I think a lot of companies today are instituting these programs to try and improve on this situation. But it sounds like uh, many don't 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 do it well. Actually, I remember years ago before I wrote uh, my first book, it was somebody said, well, John, you should be writing this down. And I used to quote Solomon, who some would say is the wisest man who ever lived. But in 975 BCE, he wrote to the writing of books, there is no end. And part of that thinking of leadership development program is why are we taking this program? Why will this program matter? Why do we want to invest in this program and in this leader? That why question is all about the values. Why going forwards is a motivational question. Why does this matter to you, Steve? Why is this important for you? That's all about your values. And and for organizations, it's pick any, and I want to change gears, but pick any sports analogy. The first time a kid, a child is out kicking a soccer ball, we don't put them on an advanced level. We give them core fundamentals to keep building those skills, those qualities, those factors where they can contribute to the well-being of a successful team. The exact same premise, or premise is a better way to put it, but the exact same premise applies to leaders, leadership. Why do I want to take this program? Why do I want to develop in this area? How am I going to use what I'm developing? And that's the key to transition that. So is is that something in the development of the program you need to communicate in a way that uh, people understand what that purpose is? Because I think most people, like, wouldn't you say that they want to learn and grow so they, they like the idea, but I think what you're saying is they need to understand why why they should be doing this. A hundred percent. And the second part of that same theme is, I think it was Schwarzkopf, but don't quote me on that. Somebody once said, The hardest thing about knowing the right thing to do is not knowing it. It's doing it. And what happens for many of us, myself included, I want to grow. I want to learn. But then I reach that point of, okay, now that I know this and now that I've learned this, John, what are you going to do with this? Yeah, the theoretical makes a lot of sense sometimes, but making it work practically is a whole different uh, ball of wax. <laughs> yeah, and and how many times, like, and I think sometimes I wonder if our education system in North America fuels that program model because we put people in school for X number of years, and when they graduate, we say, you're educated. No, they're not. They're informed. If they want to be educated, now let's go out and do the practical. 
Yeah, I, I think you hit on something there. We've talked about it many times on this program with other guests. And, you know, I, I do think uh, that, that a lot of our education is geared towards that left brain analytical thinking, check off the boxes, do these tasks, that type of thing. And then when we go out into the real world, we're expected to be creative and and figure out solutions and do a lot of what I would consider more right brain thinking things. And uh, sometimes we're at a loss on how to do that. And what what often happens is in the real world, a lot of the how do I help people trust me, follow me, respect me, whatever discussions, it's a lot of soft stuff, which is really hard to get. So communication, I can take a course on communicating. But that doesn't mean what I just said impacted you in a positive way. Right. Well, you, and, and uh, it's just kind of like I think it's uh, I saw that it, it, you refer to it as conversational IQ. So um, tell us tell us what that means. And I think this is related to what you're talking about now. And Judith Glasser, Dr. Judith Glasser, founded that term. And one of the things that she pointed out is how we communicate with another human being can actually trigger fear and distrust. So I might be 100% absolutely bang on, accurate, factual, to go with the comment you made, completely right, left brain. However, when we're dealing with people, right brain, I might be 100% wrong. So just like a stress fight, flight, freeze, appease button, conversations can either grow and instill and develop trust, rapport, or erode, you know, I think it was Stephen Covey, but somebody once wrote about the speed of trust. And so how, I guess my question is, in hearing what you just said, is, is, and maybe this is too much of a generalization, but are we getting better at this or are we getting worse at it? There's two pieces, and I'm not trying to sound kind of on, a one, on one hand and on the other hand, but there's two pieces. First, in order for anything to change, one has to be aware that it needs to change. The second part is changing it. Are we getting better at it? 100%. We are more aware of how important it is to do this right brain, soft skill. And I hate that term soft skill because it's not. It's a, it's a really tough skill to get. So we are far, far more aware that this needs to be addressed. And in some areas, it's huge in how quickly people are getting it. In other workplace cultures, it's, well, we've done it this way for whatever, 100 years. It should be good for another 100. And then wondering why it's not working. Yeah, yeah, that's very interesting. So you've had, you know, 30-plus years of working in this area and seeing what, uh, 
you know, what, what, what's out in the workplace and, and so on. Are, are people uh, just generally in more crisis um, uh, personally and, and professionally, which requires more work in this area? Or is it we just so much more aware of it, therefore it's, it seems like it's, it's, it's almost like an epidemic type of thing? I think it's we're aware of it. Is it an epidemic or is it people don't know how to resolve it? And I would suggest we're trying to find a simple, easy way to define values. The problem of values is they are always short-term costly for long-term benefit, always. And it's like me taking these pills twice a day and I will drop X number of pounds in weight well, John, you still need to stop eating the chocolate bar, the crunchets, and all the other health food. Yeah. And and so to your comment, yes, it's an epidemic, but I would suggest, propose that it's not so much an epidemic as it is human nature. We want to find an easier way to do what matters most. And so what and what you uh, said earlier, sometimes you just have to trust the process and it is a process. It it takes time and it takes uh, attention over long periods of time, not something you can fix in a weekend course. hundred percent bang on. And wouldn't that be nice to be able to like if I don't know if you're married, but I am. And wouldn't it be I nice am? to be able to go and do. A, OK, OK. Wouldn't it be nice to be able to go do a weekend course and clarify all the miscommunication that ever happens from yesterday into the future on that one weekend course. That would be nice, but uh, not possible. <laughs> so, well, and I, if it is, I sure haven't found that course because, but what values do is my commitment to my wife is long-term. So we find when I when John shifts without a clutch, we find a way to resolve that grinding gears moment rather than it becoming another stone in the shoe, which brings everything down. And in the workplace, we're trying to sweep things under the carpet and say, okay, yes, we'll deal with that down the road. We'll deal with that down the road. And pretty soon, we've got all these things under the carpet or use that same analogy we've got all these stones in the shoe and then we're wondering why we can't walk so it it brings me to to thought of uh okay let's say that you come in as a speaker or you come in uh to a company and and uh, present uh, uh, an idea of this uh conversational iq or how to communicate better and how to build trust within teams and so on and everybody in the room says, gosh, that, that sounds exactly right. I, I, I get it. I agree with it. I'm excited about it. But then how do you continue to develop the process over time? Because I think what happens is people, you know, go back uh, the next day to work and start doing the same things they've always done. And I would assume that unless you can practice it, it you're going to lose it. You're going to lose the idea and, and, the, and the change. So how do you keep that, that fresh and ongoing so that we can all learn and grow from that? 
and I don't know if it's a true story or not, but in North America, the football huddle was created, and I am using this story on purpose, the, the quarterback for one team had a, a hearing impairment or some kind of impairment. So when they stepped up to the line, everybody knew the play they were going to run, including the opposing team. So what happened was the coach of this quarterback invented a huddle where all the players put their heads in and showed their bums to the rest of the world. They defined the play so that when they went up to the line, they were just ready to run it. In order to implement this, we have to start thinking huddles. Okay? Who's your encouragement group? who's going to lock arms with you to pat you on the back or lower it 12 inches when it's needed to help you define your values, roll them out, implement them, and brainstorm when it doesn't go according to what you thought it would. And leadership starts with my favorite question is, how do you want people to describe you in a non-physical way? That boils back to my values. So, let, so yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, uh, go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, we talk about values, and and I, uh, I think we all agree that having core values is important, and identifying your values is important. But sometimes it's it's hard to to put those into practical terms in an interaction or a specific event uh, in, in the workplace. So how do you incorporate that and, and how do you live by that and how do you know that you're, you're getting it right? So, for example, when I know what my core values are, then I'm able to say, triage, why did I behave that way? And one of the th- things that frequently happens around values discussions is we don't agree in writing to our definition of the value, whatever it is, but more importantly, describe what that value looks like in practice. And it's that behaviors of that value being lived that becomes the implementable piece. And I don't know if implementable is a word, (laughs) but it's, it, sorry? No, that's good. I, I think it's a word. And, and, okay, well, it's because I learned to speak more gooder since I've done my schooling. I've, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it's, and, and so one of the things that we have to start doing is picking those people that we can be, and it doesn't mean that we'll ever do Friday night pizza and wings together. We're not that kind of a friendship. But it's those values-anchored huddles where here's where I want to implement this value over the next two weeks and start practicing it. So, you know, just to be transparent, one of the values that that um, I got called out on in a non-aggressive way was I asked my kids – and we have three of them, but I asked my kids, how would you describe your dad in a non-physical way? One, 
my daughter, I know that you love your work. Number two, I know that you love what you do. Number three, I know that you love your job. Okay? And then I heard nothing but crickets. Now, that's not a negative, but for me, that was a negative. I do not want my three kids to be able to say, Dad loved his job and not be able to say anything else. So, so you know, how, how has that impacted us? Well, one of our kids was playing uh, school sports, non-competitive context, and he got asked by some of his teammates, just curious, are your parents unemployed? Is your dad unemployed? Uh, no. Why? Well, he's always at our game. For me, that was a value statement because nobody is going to judge me if I sacrifice my kids' sports game to do that work thing. Who are those people who are going to encourage us, hold us accountable or responsible, or challenge us? To uphold those values because they're short-term costly. And same principle applies in work. A lot of organizations spend a lot of time doing what's called respect in the workplace training. One of the premises that needs to be raised in any respect in the workplace training is gossip because gossip is a huge disrespect in the workplace. Okay, when gossip happens, how am I going to honor a core value of respect and be willing to hold that lightning rod by addressing it or naming it? I think that's a, <clears throat> that's a very uh, big point, but, but hard for people to do, which is basically calling out behavior that is not appropriate. And so uh, to be on a good team, I think that's what good teams do, is they call out people that uh, show behavior that doesn't fit the team values. And so uh, it's very important, but uh, not often done, I think. And to that comment, when the values are not clear, it can't be done. Because our behaviors reflect our values. If I value whatever, money, you can expect my behaviors to follow suit. Yeah, and, and there's definitely that. And then there's also just the piece of uh, people don't like conflict. I mean, they don't like to, you know, if you Absolutely. call somebody out on, your, on their behavior, uh, more than likely they're going to react, uh, they're, they're going to push back. And so now you have a conflict and now you have to deal with that. And, and part of that conversational intelligence, part of that values ethos means reframing it. For example, all sports are really just conflict. However, people have agreed to the values, to the rules that they're going to play by to compete well. And conflict isn't a negative in a sports or baseball, in a hockey or football game. 
But where we run into problems if we don't clarify what football we are playing. And there's four footballs. There's Canadian, American, Australian, and European. Everybody's talking football. We're just not going to play very well together. <laughs> yeah, excellent point. You know, and a woman actually pointed out to me, she said, and don't forget, John, those four football all have different balls. And I never even thought of it, but yeah, she was absolutely right. So, you know, sometimes I think that we, we, we can look at extremes and, and learn things as well. And I, I know that you're a certified grief counselor. And you mentioned earlier in this program today that, that, that you kind of got your start doing that. And so uh, when you talk with, uh, you know, uh, victims or people that are, are really dealing with extreme grief, what do you learn from that? And, 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 and what did you, how do you uh, uh, experience that and, and transfer that over to leadership training and, and um, conversational IQ? Well, it's actually simple by reframing grief. Emotional investment equals intensity of loss. That's all grief is. Most people think grief is death-related. No, it's not. It's, it's dealing with loss. And emotional investment is... Okay, some people, look at retirement. Some people who are emotionally invested in their careers end up huge, huge repercussions when they retire. Emotional investment. And, and so what does it mean for leaders? First of all, the event is never the real crisis. Change can be a crisis for some people. So, so t expand on that a little bit. So, you just said that the event is never the crisis. So, um, so for example, if um, if you decide that we're going to restructure the company that I'm part of, well, that might be more traumatizing to me than what. If, 20 people getting laid off. And, and so therefore, as a leader, what's most important is you helping me to understand versus the, well, John, it's not a big deal. Let it go. Don't worry about it. Yeah, another thing that, that I've um, read about you is that you've worked a lot with indigenous peoples, uh, first nations uh, people. So, um, tell us about that experience and, and how that's helped you kind of shape your ideas of, of um, how, how to be part of a culture. Uh, first thing that we have to do is be willing to ask the questions and be humble enough to say, okay, can you help me understand what your values are? Because when somebody says, well, we know what our values are, uh, when I'm trying to walk and chew gum here, so just give me a second. So when, we, when we're serving a culture that's not part of our culture, 
we have to we have to be willing to ask them those questions to say okay what does what does the for example there's one culture that's Haudenosaunee values one of their values is good mind okay what does that mean versus coming in thinking or assuming or operating as if I know what you mean by a good mind. And what comes out of that is you end up teaching me, whoever the you is, you end up teaching me what you mean when you say that. Respect is another one. Many people say, well, one of my core values is respect. Okay. What does respect mean for you? Because I might not share the same definition of that value of respect. And so when we're working with different cultures, we have to be willing to ask those questions rather than assume I know. Yeah, so uh, with whatever team you're on, you have to take the time and do the work to define what those values are and and what's important to the team. Otherwise, assumptions are made, and and that's where uh, things go, go awry. And we end up with conflict because, well, you asked me for my feedback, observations. I wasn't aware that that you didn't really want them. And, you know, and it's not good or bad, but if we don't ask those questions, clarify that thinking, we can end up getting caught operating out of our own understanding of what is meant instead of us. When you said you wanted accountability. I wasn't aware that that meant you were telling me to do the job. I, I just uh, next time just say, yeah, I, I, I just, John, I, I need you to do this. <laughs> yeah. Be direct. It, it's so interesting to me because I think in our culture today, um, especially in the, in the U.S., it's it's like we're we're so polarized, and and you can we can agree on the exact same facts and the exact same statement, and then depending on you know what TV channel you're watching or or what political person is speaking, yeah. it, it can mean I mean it's just mind-boggling to think wait a minute those are the facts but there are two so different perspectives. It just blows you away. You just—it's hard to, to to get your head around. And it's not a new thing, though, because if you go back to the kids' games, we used to call that the broken telephone game. <laughs> right. Remember that? I we don't sit in a circle. Yeah. And and I I mean I was a civilian, but I worked with uh, municipal police service and their victims unit, victim crisis unit. So. I'd be at significant events, real, real bad crises, and I'd come home and watch it on the news, and I'd be sitting there thinking, 
I'm sure I was there, but that's not the event I was at. <laughs> yeah. And to, to exactly your point, it, wow, I did not think it would be going in that direction. And what happens in healthy organizations is we have those discussions in our huddles, in our community, so that when we leave, I'm able to say, yeah, Steve and John don't agree on the definition of this, but we do understand that this is how John's going to translate it, and this is how Steve's going to translate it, and we can agree to disagree, but we're still unified in the focus of our company. Yes, I think that's that's something we have to feel more comfortable about embracing is, is that you know, we don't have to all agree uh, going forward. We just have to agree with the, uh, you know, the terms of engagement and, and how we and, and that we've all been heard and respected. And, and we may not always get our way, but if we can, um, you know, trust that that diversity of opinion is a good thing, uh, you know, hopefully we'll get a better outcome. Well, it's and I use that example in several ways is unity without uniformity. That's proven by imagine having a baseball team where all you have are pictures, pitchers or a football team where all you have is a quarterback. Well, you don't need to be a NFL or whatever, professional ball team coach to know that if you only have a pitcher or you only have a quarterback, you're not going very far in the season. In the workplace, I have to be different than others. And therefore, so the way I illustrate it is think like a body, work like a team. And we're all different body parts, but if we share the same focus, we strengthen the good of the whole. You know, one of the things you talk about as well is is kind of the uh, the wellness uh, of a company. And I think a lot of times when you hear about wellness, we think of oh, well, that means um, you know we have these uh, self help programs or that that we're uh, we have these health benefits uh, to, to do this and do that. But I think you're talking about something uh, much bigger than that. Uh, so explain a little bit about what you think when you come in to, to help a, a company with their wellness program. For example, one of the first things that, and you probably already picked up on this, one of the first things that I do with an organization is we sit down and talk about what they mean by wellness. Because if they think they're going to keep everybody healthy and at work, they're sadly mistaken. Or the, the way I joke about it is they're smoking for more than medicinal purposes. <laughs> yeah. And and so what what does it mean? I mean, everybody knows that business works when people thrive. So therefore, one of the most important pieces for us to do around wellness is let's clarify what it means. And I have to dumb it down for myself to make it really simple. I look at wellness in the six areas of a human being. 
physical, emotional, mental, spiritual. That's not religious. If you're my supervisor and you're out to, I believe you're out to get me, I'm a spiritual person. And moral and relational. So physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, moral, and relational. How are we going to define those factors in wellness? So if John is being a real pain in the neck, if it's that high up, how are we going to deal with that relational Charlie horse? Because it will impact other people. And therefore, um, when there's a moral wallop, I expected somebody to support me after my mom or my dad or my child died, and I never heard from anybody in the organization. How are we going to deal with those moral Charlie horses? And I call Charlie horse because any human being who gets a wallop in life with the right tools, community of support, can come back in the game. But telling a person to skate it off, walk it off, it doesn't hurt kind of coaching model makes the injury worse. You've had a physical trotting horse before? Steve? Oh, yes, absolutely. Yes. And you know that beloved coach that, ah, <laughs> oh, walk it off, you're fine, it doesn't hurt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Acknowledging it yeah, uh, makes, makes a big difference. And, and and so think of think about the emotional Charlie horses. Somebody who, for better for worse, till death do we part, is going through a divorce. Well, if they're a normal human being with normal human reactions in a workplace, then their head's probably not going to be in the game. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's well said. You know, and it, it strikes me too as those are, um, let's just say, maybe normal or or common uh, things that we deal with as we go through life, which definitely affect our personal and our work work life. And and you just mentioned that. How does you know? It, it's almost I've heard it said before, which I, I can't disagree with, is we're like in this mental health crisis right now, where there's just so much prevalence of uh, mental health type issues, and and that has got to affect uh, companies and business cultures as well. Uh, absolutely, but I remember years and years and years ago there was a woman named Mother Teresa, and I remember her being interviewed. It was the late night talk show guy host, thick glasses. Oh, uh, Larry King. King. Yeah, Larry King. Yeah. And I remember him saying, you know, Mother Teresa or whatever he was referring to as, Sister Teresa, with everything that you're dealing with in Calcutta, would you not rather be ministering in North America? And her insight and wisdom was incredible. She said, no. North America has a far worse disease than anything we deal with. And his look of, like, what do you mean? 
and she said, North America has the disease of loneliness. Wow. And I wonder, and I wonder how many of our mental health hurdles are tied back to because we don't have those people in our lives for whatever reasons. It's not assigning blame anywhere, but we don't have those people in our lives who correct us, discipline us, encourage us, and speak the truth in love, even when it sometimes stinks. Yeah, it's it's a very interesting point, and I think you look at how our society has evolved over time, and and you could probably make the argument that you know our neighborhoods is not are not as strong as they used to be, and our our um, our, our uh, uh, you know institutions, whether it be uh, um, you know schools or or churches or whatever, maybe aren't as strong as they used to be, and. And, and people struggle with finding their people, finding their tribe, finding their, um, you, you know, where they can flourish and, and also learn and grow and, and, and uh, you know, be called out on stuff once in a while. So uh, I can definitely see that. And, I mean, if you've ever taken a trip, holiday with somebody, and the TV commercial or the brochure and the holiday did not match. It was not kind of a Hallmark holiday. What could go wrong did go more Griswold than Hallmark. Yeah. One of the things that happens after those holidays is our friendships grow far deeper. If the Andersons and Robertsons were on a camping trip in whatever backcountry and we had storms and high winds and but we persevered we we walked through it years later the friendship is still do you remember that stupid camping trip we took because that's where we learned the value of real community and friends so you're saying that uh struggles and uh, maybe even conflict, uh, positive conflict and, and things like that are actually make us stronger in the long run. Absolutely. When we have the people around us. So one of the things that I've redone with that Charlie horse analogy is applied it into the mental health dynamic. If I am playing a game that I do not enjoy and I get injured, any Charlie horse takes me out. If I am playing a game I love, I will find a way to get back into it. What happens if I'm at work and I really don't love my work? There's no passion for lack of better words. Yeah, then you're just uh, yeah you're looking for a way to get out, or you're unengaged, and it's uh, it's just not something that uh, um, you know you're going to try hard to get back into because it's not what you enjoy. And think of all the stories that you and I have heard over the years 
of people who got that wallop got taken out of the game and couldn't find a way to get back in because they weren't even sure what game they wanted to play. Yeah, that's that's a very good point. So, uh, what what uh, what excites you every day? What gets you going and uh, working with different companies and different organizations? Uh, uh, what gets you out of bed in the morning, and what do you look forward to in the day? I love it. What's the expression? Um, I'm dating myself, but there was an old t- well. Some people would say it's the only way I get a date, but <laughs> there's. There was a Bits and Bytes commercial years and years ago, and the tagline from it was, every handful is a whole new ballgame. And one of the things that, that I love about what I'm doing is I love getting people to think about their thinking and asking questions about that thinking. And then let's see where it goes. I love not trying to come in and sell, you know, if you buy this snake oil, it will cure what ills you kind of model. It's, okay, let's figure out what matters to you. Then we'll figure out the process to honor what matters. Yeah, yeah, that's great. So, John, in, in preparing uh, or, or thinking about our discussion today uh, before we got on, uh, is there anything that I haven't asked you uh, that, that you think would be important to, to get on the program? I think one of the things that, and I know it's kind of your model, but for every person to look at themselves and say in five years, What's my profile in leadership that I want people to see in me? And what am I going to do to grow or grow or whatever, develop in that direction? But a lot of times, a profile in leadership, if it's not inside out, if it's some outside in program, people smell a lack of genuineness. I know the buzz term right now is authenticity and transparency, but but that genuineness to say, you know what, this is who I am. This is how I want people to see me in five years. And that's not a title. That's a, like I can pick up on, okay, should I be calling you Dr. Steve or Dr. Anderson? But in order to have rapport and conversation, it's that. So, Steve, in five years, how would you like people to see your profile when it comes to your leadership? Yeah, that's a great question, and I think the the more you can define that or imagine that, and and then you start uh, your behavior start to. Uh, react or, or, or become a way that um, that seeks that out, so to speak. Absolutely. And it also allows us, the key is not saying no to things. The key is what we say yes to. If, if you or I are saying yes to 
this is where I want to grow. And we have to say no to those things that, okay, that's not going to be helpful for me to have that profile. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. Well, John, usually at this point in the interview, I always ask my guests a common question. And that question is, in relation to leadership, what is a pearl of wisdom that you could leave us with today? Reframe, I think it was John Maxwell, but somebody once said, reframe leadership to be influence. And therefore, how do I want to influence those around me? And so the pearl of wisdom is... Is and it was dark humor, but it was that there's two types of people in the world, John. People we love to see and people we love to see go. <laughs> so, John, what's the influence that you want to have that people love to see you? Yeah, that's great. Well, John, uh, thanks so much for this discussion today. I, I learned a lot. It sounds like you've had a very, very interesting career and in working with a lot of very interesting uh, teams and, and cultures, and um, I'm, I'm sure that does keep you going each day. So thanks again for your time today. We've learned a lot, and uh, I really appreciate your time. And I really appreciate your time and your willingness to have these conversations with people so that you serve the listener. So the very best to you for your willingness to step out and do this for others. Yeah, thanks, John. Yeah, have a good rest of your day, and uh, we'll see you down the road. See you down the road. You have a good one too, sir. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Profiles in Leadership. To listen to all my interviews, subscribe to Profiles in Leadership with Steve Anderson on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, and many other popular podcast platforms. Some of these interviews are on video, and you can search YouTube for Profiles in Leadership with Steve Anderson. You can also access the entire library of interviews on my website, orange.coaching.com, and that is orangetheword.coaching.com, and go to the Media Center and click on Podcasts or Video Gallery. You can also enter the website from pilpodcast.com.